I was always excited to walk just behind Dad if he entered a party store up north. There were two reasons for that. One, it was pretty much a guarantee I was walking out of there with beef jerky and a can of coke in hand. And two, I was always in awe of the intricate dance that would begin to unfold. You see, we don't have birds of paradise here in Michigan, but we do have fishermen that require a flash of plumage if they're going to divulge their secrets. You can't just stroll up to the counter and say, hey, where are they biting? You gotta dance, baby. You gotta hop on one foot and call. You know what I mean? Dad purposely, stealthily, and quickly revealed he knew the area and had fished it previously while placing items on the counter. The person behind the counter responded in kind with appropriate head nods and all the advice needed to set us up right fishing for that weekend. Dad may be gone, but his communication tendencies live on in me, and I use them all the time when I'm considering how to be the best dad I can for little Maxine. After all, if you go out into the world seeking advice, it's best to remember most streets go two ways. Welcome to Season 2 of My Dad, I'm Dad, a podcast for anyone who's ever loved, lost, or anything in between. My name is Doug. The first 15 episodes of this show will always stand as a damn good introduction to the kind of man and father my dad was before he passed away. The show was originally meant to help my daughter get to know her Jaja and help me process my feelings my way, but I also hoped it might help anyone going through a rough time. These coming episodes still do just that, but I brought guests along for season two. I wanted to learn from and enjoy conversations with people that could shed light on things not written about in parenting books, or hear stories about dad, or laugh, or shed a tear, or anything in between. But let's back it up for a minute. Now, imagine me sitting at a desk and laying out season one. I knew how to spin a yarn. I knew stories about Dad that could paint the picture of who he was and still is. But I didn't know how to get a podcast out to listeners. I tapped into that Wally Dorda advice courtship ritual and took to the internet. And my call for help was answered by an old acquaintance. John Cole sells beer by day but he spends his afternoons with his family and many of his evenings podcasting. While we did that party store polka, and the show is now in your ears, thanks to John's help. That was one reason I wanted to bring John on as a guest. The larger reason is that he dropped off his firstborn at college this fall, and I had to know what that was like. As you can imagine, though, we got into a hell of a lot more than that. Without further ado, take it away, other me. Hey, John, how the hell are you, man? Well, I am doing swell, sir. It's, uh, you know, 28 degrees cooler here than yesterday. How about you? Uh, I, I have the exact same situation on, and it's amazing. <laughs> I don't want to be one of those guys that's like, oh, yeah, sweat of weather, but walking out of the house for the first time today and kind of feeling that like it was warm in the sunshine, but cool in the shade mm -hmm. feeling for the first time and knowing that it might actually be sticking around for a little bit. I'm going to love it as long as it's here 
and then hate it as soon as winter comes around. I mean, it was poetic, wasn't it? I mean, it was 86 degrees on the last day of summer and 58 degrees on the first day of fall. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's absolutely poetic. <laughs> well, hey, man, thank you so much I for joining me. I really appreciate it. You're a huge part of the reason that I'm able to put this podcast out there in the first place. And a lot of this stuff is going to be covered in, you know, the intro that other me just went ahead and teed up for us. But I'm going to start us off with a softball question for you joining me tonight. And that is a simple one. Is there anything you wish someone had given you a heads up on before you became a parent for the first time? Uh, well, seeing it was a uh, complete surprise at 22 years old, um, perhaps wait a little longer. Um, <laughs> um no i you know um it it wasn't planned and it was a total surprise and um it turned my life upside down my friend so um yeah uh plan ahead would have been nice right have any sense of uh, what you were getting into figure out how to get out of that truly selfish era of your life um, when you're in your late teens, early 20s, before you have kids, um, any of those things would have been great to hear. Now, at that age, do you think you would have believed any of that stuff? And I mean this earnestly and honestly, because even at 35 years old, when I would get parenting advice, you know, 35 when we were pregnant, some of it I took as just like, oh, you're very well-meaning. And some of it I took as, no, nah, I'm just going to do it my own way. And I now realize that all of that advice especially if delivered from any parent uh, with a child that's you know older than five years old, they've been doing it for a while, should have been listened to at least a little bit. Do you think a 22-year-old can earnestly believe parenting advice, or do you think they're just like, I'm going to be able to do it? I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think that there was anything. I mean, I was so overwhelmed by the whole prospect of um, – you know, becoming a dad, I, I would be 23 when he was born. Um, and, uh, I was so overwhelmed by that. I don't think anything sunk into my head. My, my mother is so tired of, um, the phrase out of my mouth. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> and I, and I'm 41 now, Doug. And I think that, um, that's my mantra. You've seen that meme with the, with the dog sitting at a table, drinking a coffee and everything's on fire. Oh, yeah. The most like popular meme of all time. Yes, that's the one. Um, I'm pretty sure that that's my spirit animal. Everything's <laughs> fine here. Um, that was kind of my mantra when I was uh, uh, 23. I'll figure this out. I got myself into this. I'll get myself out of it. You know, leave me alone. I got this. I think you probably figured that out. It's an awful attitude. <laughs> you, you need all the help you can get. Yeah, but there's there's also a huge benefit to that because I am not Unfortunately, I am the very flip of that. I am the nothing is fine. Nothing is ever fine. Mm -hmm. Overthink. How could I be doing this better? Am I doing anything okay? And a lot, most of the time, I'd say 70% of the time, I present as the parent that just looks like they know what they're doing. Or if I'm out walking my daughter and the dog and like, oh, that guy's kind of got his stuff together. Or I've got the kid in the backpack where what you mm -hmm. don't hear in my head is the constant did we do mealtime early enough? Uh, am I making sure that this kid is hitting their milestones? Am I doing anything well enough? How does anybody trust me to do this? I am alone on planet Earth with a child. Who gave me the keys to this kingdom? Yeah, I, I feel that. 
Um, you know, I was managing a bar. Uh, that was a very late night bar. I was up every night of the week. And um, it was, I, I lived two different worlds, Doug. I mean, I I was dad during the day and I was John at night. And they were two very different people. Um, and I lived a, a complete dual life, if that makes sense. I did everything I could for my son during the days and, and hours I was not working. And then when he was not around, I basically pretended life didn't change, that I was still 21-year-old John with no cares in the world. I don't know. Was that helpful? I don't know. Detrimental? No, it absolutely is. Maybe. Is it- I don't know. It was It was weird. It was like totally disconnecting yourself from the other side. Actually, before we came, uh, came downstairs to record this interview tonight... I had put on a hat. Actually, my daughter was in my arms and she grabbed a hat of mine off the wall. And it was like, a it's one of those cabbie caps, like an Irish style hat. And she put it on my head and I put it on backwards. And we were looking at ourselves in the mirror and she was laughing. Mm-hmm. And a memory sprung to my mind. And I ran out into the living room where mom was. And I sat in a chair backward, you know, so like a cool teacher. And I had that hat on. And I remember when I was in sixth grade, drawing a picture of myself, what I would look like when I was 25. Mm-hmm. And it was that it was a bearded me because I wanted to have a beard real bad with a backwards cabbie cap. Don't know why. And I was going to have three kids by the age of 25. I was very wrong. And I, I'm kind of glad I was wrong because it would not have gone well for me. I was not equipped at the age of 25 to be able to handle much of anything. I didn't even have a dog at the time. Because I, I still hadn't really figured the world out by that age. But it's, it's all a matter of perspective. And what I'm curious about now, 41-year-old John, with your son, he's now 19? 18. Yep. He's 18. Correct. With your son, how do you feel he would view you as a parent, if that's not too bold to ask? Sure. Um, just just because you were 22 and you didn't know what the hell you were doing and you wanted some additional help doesn't mean he ever felt that. Do you think that that's the case? Uh, you know, it's um, it's an interesting relationship. And, um, you know, I think I I believe that I'm one of his best friends and he's one of my best friends. And it's always been, I would say, almost a struggle to truly actually be a parent for him. If that makes sense. Absolutely. His mom and I aren't together. Uh, we we lasted 14 beautiful months <laughs> and uh, it, it just wasn't right. You know, we did what we could and we tried to bring him up in a in a stable home. But it just, you know, when when two people aren't happy, the kids figure it out eventually. Doug, there's the don't don't lie to yourself. The, they figure it out that the whole stay together for the kids is is not always the best idea. Um, I firmly believe that. I, I also, I mean, I believe you you do everything you can to to honor your commitments and and work through whatever you can. But at the end of the day, we were not compatible people, and um, it didn't work. And there's a, a long history story there um, that I, you and I have talked a little bit about offline. Uh, but Michael, you know, he was born in Petoskey. We moved to Grand Rapids. His mom and I separated. He lived in a uh, apartment with me. Uh, on my days in a, in a house with a strange man and his mom on her days. And then I moved to Ann Arbor and long story to get there. I took custody of him when he was five, but I couldn't take him 
to Ann Arbor because I had just moved there, was living in student housing. So he spent a year in Petoskey for his kindergarten year. I finally got him moved down here to Brighton downstate and he started first grade in Brighton. And then we did second grade in Howell. And then we moved when he was in between sixth and seventh grade to the other side of Howell. So we had to switch schools again. So this poor kid, you know, has been moved and transferred and just kind of told where to go and where to be his whole life. And this is really the first summer. And um, now that he's off at Western, the first time he's ever been in charge of him. And I've had a lot of discussions with him about that. And, you know, it took many, many, many years. And it was only a few years ago where I finally just sat him down and said, ask me whatever you want to know from, you know, those years that might be a blur from being so young. And honestly, he just knows that he was taken care of. And he doesn't dig into it much more than that. So that's that's pretty incredible to hear, man. That actually makes me really um I, I gravitate toward the word happy, but it's not necessarily happy. It's just that the power of a child to understand the intent of a human sure. being is something that I often overlook. Just because I'm not doing something particularly well doesn't mean my my daughter doesn't think that I, I'm not trying my best. You know, she she yeah. must assume positive intent. They pick uh, up on she's that. she's a child, right? They they pick up on it, though. They They know. You know, at the end of the day, I believe that he knows that we did what we needed to do for him. Uh, his mom, myself, uh, his stepmom, his stepdad, his grandparents. And uh, yeah, he, I, I think that happy is a good word. He had a, he's, he's amazingly well adjusted for all of that. Yeah. I, he's, he's a good kid. Yeah. It seems uh, from all the conversations that we'd had mm -hmm. uh, previous to actually sitting down tonight, just to record this, it sounds like he's a wonderful person and, you know, hopefully I get to meet him someday. That would be, that would be pretty incredible for me. I hope so, man. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's off in the marching band at Western. We got to go see him. And uh, he's just, uh, he's, I, I truly believe he's living his best life. And I think a lot of people can look back on their college years and say, man, that was my best life, right? Oh, um, yeah. But uh, his mom remarried, I remarried. And uh, he's got four little brothers that are basically uh, nine, eight, seven, and six uh, between his mom and I. And so uh, he's been kind of king of the little people for a long time and parent number three in both households and being passed back and forth. And uh, yeah, I'm just happy he's in a space on his own. Now, you saying you being happy that he's in a space on his own, I have to imagine that a watching him go to college must feel bittersweet. Unimaginably so. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I can't imagine letting Maxine go beyond my sphere at the moment i can't sure. imagine taking her to school i i honestly am having difficulty imagining taking her to something like uh, a tumbling class or or something where she would just be beyond me a little bit not that i want to be a helicopter parent by any oh. means but just like that's my buddy that's right? my friend and she relies on me for so much and i rely on her to feel blissful like the best bliss i've ever felt in my entire life and, and Michael's entire existence up until this point had still been well within your sphere, even though, you know, there were there were rough patches along the way. You just said yourself, it's not that he focused on those things. He just knew he was taken care of. And I'm right. sure he did a fair shake at taking care of you and helping you feel like a better human because you were his dad. Sure. So sending him off. What uh, what, what what did that feel like? What did it feel it like was... for you? And what did it feel like for your wife? Well, you know, it, the bittersweet started this summer. He's he's lived with me since he was five and, um, you know, lived with us, lived with my wife and I. This summer, he decided to go work at his mom and stepdad's business. 
and uh, lived with them basically all summer, about 40 minutes from here. So we got kind of an early taste of him not being here. No, sir, I don't like it. Much as the great <laughs> powdered toast man, not powdered toast man, the, the the horse guy from Ren and Stimpy, if you remember. No, sir, I don't like. You're it. making the exact references that people yes. who come to this podcast. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, uh, it, it. I found myself knocking on his door in the morning, trying to wake him up, and he's not here. It's 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 truly bittersweet. That just broke my heart. And I'm so sorry. Like I'm happy, I'm thrilled for you, but I'm so sorry. And of course, uh, this is an audio podcast, but you can see my face. So yeah, there, 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 there. get that out of there. Uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, uh, we dropped him off at school, and um, man, joyful! What a joyful experience. Uh, difficult too. Did when when you dropped him off. Was there any sort of comfort in in seeing any you know potential? Not to say that he felt any of these things, but I imagine because I it seems like it was just yesterday for me being dropped off at college. Huh, yeah. uh, was there was there sort of an elation on the face, a sort of like a, a raw potential and excitement that you were able to cling on to, or was it more just that like I wish I could do this with you? Sure, I mean, wow, to talk about go back a stage and. and talk about letting him out of the sphere right so he wanted to do karate class i think i let him go six months before i was like hey i can do this class with you <laughs> and i did three years of karate doug i got my i, I got a year and a half away from a black belt oh <laughs> just, man just, you didn't you didn't go all the way just so i could go no i ended up having back surgery but um so it's no, all right you I, know I what we'll do we're gonna write make it all the way we're going to breathe this into existence. Right. I always wanted to do karate when I was a kid. And when you feel like doing karate again, I'll go do karate with you and I'll right. bring Maxine. That's great. That sounds like an awesome idea. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun dropping him off, man. I, he was so nervous, so excited. Part of him being passed back and forth from all those places has been kind of this. I don't want to call it callousness. That's the wrong word. Um, just, kind of annoyingly calm all the time like i would try to push his buttons to try to get a rise out of him and you just couldn't do it because he's spent since he was two years old just being handed off from house to house and going with the flow and uh it was honestly one of the the happiest moments of dropping him off was him kind of acknowledging his nervousness and excitement and a little bit of dread it was an interesting mix of emotions Without getting into too much of his own personal business, Michael is, um, shall we say, lives an alternative lifestyle in some aspects. And uh, Howell is not exactly the most open-minded community. Right. And uh, passing him off to college, in especially at Western Michigan, uh, in a very welcoming and diverse town for uh, West Side of Michigan, was uh, a very happy moment for me. You you had shared more of those personal details with me, and I don't I don't want to share them here on this podcast because that's Michael's story. But I will say this: your love for your son and who he is to this day, from the from the moment you shared it with me, it I think about it all the time, and I can cry real easy as well. Uh, and people have heard that in in the show, but it just just because my experience is my experience doesn't preclude me from wanting the best for every single human being out there 
that has an ear for people just enjoying their lives and being allowed to be who they are. And the fact that you champion that for your son is an enormous inspiration to me always. And I have to imagine that bringing him to a place where he begins to author his own experience for the first time in a way that's kind of intangible to describe with college must have been a a weight off the shoulders while still being extremely emotional. It it really is. I mean, it takes the, I think my wife and I have always felt a very heavy burden of trying to cocoon him from his early life and from his experiences into a kind of a, I don't know, a, a, a blanket of security. And I think being able to go off and make this story and make his own friends and uh, create a life for himself at college, it truly does feel like an almost like an unburdening once you uh, get past the raw emotions. A large majority of what I'm trying to do with this entire season is I can't ask my dad these things about how he felt about my transitional times in life. I, I can't anymore. I I designed the entire first season to be the vast majority of the kind of world-class wisdom that everyone on the planet knows, but the way my dad put his particular spin on it. I will say that when he dropped me off at college or when he would drop me off at camp, any time where he was not going to be around for a long time, I would tear up. And it wasn't necessarily because I was going to miss my dad, which of course I was going to, but it was more that they trusted me enough to go be in the world and have experiences away from them where I couldn't reach out to them immediately. I could not. And that meant so much. They knew that I was going to be okay. And the all of that emotion would just ball up in me and it would come out in the form of a few tears. And my dad would always look at me and be like, all right, he's about to cry. Let's go. And he didn't say it in a bad way. It was just one of those, like, he needs to feel this the way he needs to feel it right now. And I need to let him do that. So after everything was offloaded at college, he got in the car, honked the horn once and they were gone. Yeah. That was very similar. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's all I could do was, uh, was not hang on and not, and not text them every day. Did you go to class? Did you get your homework done? How's, how's marching band? <laughs> how's your roommate? Are you getting along with everybody? You know, it's just kind of, I don't know if you're ever a smoker, Doug. I, I, I dabbled in it when I was younger and, um, it is a very difficult thing to quit. And, um, it's very similar trying to cut yourself off from, um, being in charge of and responsible for every moment of a child's life. Oh, that, that is, wow. I was, I was, and it was one of the most difficult things I ever, uh, tried to quit. And I even like jumped back in a time or two in the back of your head. Always, you know, you see, you see, um, a high school student out with his dad playing catch, or you go to a a restaurant and you see a family together and it's just, it's just there. Like, Oh man, I wish he was here. Watching Star Wars last night. First time I've watched. Wow. Star Wars is going to make me cry, Doug. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to my dad. I'm dad, John. Feel free, man. Let it yeah. go. That's the idea. I can't watch Star Wars without thinking of my dad and crying. Right? So you're in the right place. I watched that show last night. I told you in uh, the preamble before we started recording that I, I binge watched all three indoors last night. And it's the first time I've watched the new Star Wars and. 12 years without him as somebody who shared that 
so deeply with his own father. I know how that must have felt. The extreme happiness of knowing that he may be out there still enjoying it doesn't at all curtail <laughs> the sadness that he's not sitting right next to you. Here's the uh, the flip end of that. You know, I have two younger children. And uh, Katie, my wife, was uh, at a work event tonight and didn't come home till the uh, kids were bedtime. So we made dinner and the kids were like, can we play a game? I said, no. <laughs> like, like can we can we go play with the neighbors no oh man what are we gonna do sit down we're watching star wars <laughs> it's dad's silly space show time right it's like nope i i uh worked myself into a tizzy last night that they weren't here so it's your turn you're carrying the torch now so i actually started that with anderson my nine-year-old um earlier this year we're on we're on episode three we watched it all but the last uh you know mighty i don't want to spoil it for anybody when did that come out in that 2000 something yeah we're right before uh the conclusion of the obi-wan anakin final scene oh and uh sadly it was 8 30 and they had to go and they're hanging from a you know hanging from a piece of metal hanging over lava and uh i was like great time to pause click that's actually <laughs> awesome if i was gonna pause at any particular moment knowing what i know about how those go i'd be like this yep. is the time good night you know time. like good night catch you in the morning sorry uh, uh but that that actually is something that i wanted to ask you about your other your other children how are they dealing with michael being gone and more specifically how have you prioritized in your life i know you just talked mm -hmm. about star wars and how there's going to be some carryover in those experiences and how you try to make them unique to each of your kids mm -hmm. so how are they feeling with him not being immediately available to them? And how do you make your experience with them as a parent unique? Well, uh, Anderson, the nine-year-old, is happy that he can have seconds and thirds of dinner every night now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's been a positive uh, in Anderson's life since Michael moved out. Uh, Michael doesn't eat all the food now. So that's been good. Uh, no, uh, it's... It's an interesting transition. The boys, of course, were very sad and cried a few times um, the first few nights he was gone. But we also shared him a lot the last few years. He spent time he, when he started working. He was gone a lot of nights. He was gone um, a lot of weekends at his mom's house. Um, and he was gone all summer. So we kind of transitioned fairly easy and in the actual home life here with the with the when it comes to the other two boys katie and i probably struggled more than they do uh, but they're six and nine you know they they move on with their lives pretty quickly uh, we did take uh them to go see their first uh home game they got destroyed by pit over at western but uh, we got to go watch the band and we left and uh that that was really cool uh, it's an interesting transition it, it truly is the first child being unexpected and being so young and really truly being a child myself. I mean, I, I disappeared on my parents when I was 19. I, I, I literally ran away from Petoskey, Michigan to Raleigh, North Carolina without telling them where I was going. Um, and I just come back and I, you know, had been home for maybe a year and a half and really just kind of figured out the, uh, the pain and trauma I caused my parents from, from that time. And all of a sudden surprise, you're dead. Yeah, you, uh, you really wanted to hit him with a one-two punch, huh? <laughs> right? And uh, I remember calling my my mom, and we had just kind of repaired our friendship, you know, just started being a good family again. And I was like, so uh, I know you wanted to be a grandma before 50, right? 
uh, <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was pretty fun. But that's not the point. The point is the the difference. So truly, I raised Michael probably more as my buddy, my friend. I want you, I want to be the cool dad. I want to be you know I want to show you all the things I liked and and I want you to like all the things that I like. And uh, with the two new um, additions, Charlie and Anderson, um, it's really more of a parental figure. It, it's completely different. I don't really, I mean, I think that kind of sums it up pretty well, right? Uh, I, yeah. I was friends with Michael. I'm, I'm the younger kid's dad. It's, it's, it's different. That's a really important distinction because my brother who I haven't talked about a lot in, in my podcast yet, not because I didn't want to, but because he and I were so different and I wanted to make sure that this show came largely from my perspective. And hopefully I have him on here real soon. He said he wants to come on and uh, I can't wait for that. It'll, it'll be wonderful. But my brother lost his best friend. He wanted my dad to be the best man at his wedding. And unfortunately, dad passed away about nine months uh, before he got married and they did everything together. All, all of the things, all of the fishing, all of the, like my dad and I mentally understood one another and got along in that way. And my brother and my dad physically got along and did all those things together. It didn't matter. 4.30 in the morning, we're going fishing. Great. Right. We're going to go do this. They speak with the same speech patterns, I have dad's voice, Brandon has dad's personality. And it's kind of this amazing, weird yin and yang. I always said that it's almost like my dad split himself right down the middle and he gave half to my brother and half to me. Ah, yeah. and, and he he definitely raised me more like a dad. And Brandon, especially when he got older, more like a buddy. Right. And there's no right or wrong there. It's just a very different experience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when I sent Michael off to college, it was, you know, the doubts in my head were, did I prepare him enough? Was I hard enough on him? Did I teach him enough accountability? Uh, what, was I too forgiving? Was I too nice? Was I too much of a friend? And then now with the, uh, with the other two, I think, I think I regret a lot of um, when I'm kind of that lecturing dad you know, trying to get them to behave the way I want them to behave and become the people I want them to become. And I don't spend as much time with them being a friend, being a pal. It's, it's, it's just different. It's completely and utterly different. I, I, I'll say this also is one thing I didn't talk about a lot with my first season of my show is my dad and I's relationship molded drastically differently over the years. There was always that through line of love and, and, and safety and I'll be there for you and I'll help you. But our understanding of one another really ramped up when I probably hit about 14, 15 years old. And I was able to articulate myself a lot better in ways that he kind of understood. Like the first time I could make a metaphorical connection, kind of my bread and butter, the way I go about life. <laughs> it was to my dad telling him like, well, you know, you're a mechanic and you do this and I do this when it comes to reading books or something along those lines. Sure. And he kind of got it. But it, this is, it's all like, this is staggering for me to be able to, to start putting into my mind because every single day I ride that balance. Mm -hmm. My daughter is my best friend, really my only friend. Cause she's the person I see every day for most right. of the day. But I also have to 
teach her and I have to show her how to take care of herself and not hurt herself. And she's still so young yet. She's still so young, but I can already feel myself being that lecturing dad or being the like pandering dad or like, this is a teaching moment. And like, will she maybe come to resent the way that I communicate? Doug, I live, I live in teaching moments. And uh, (laughs) I think some, my, my children, I've, I have learned so quickly the, the gloss eyed, look back at me <laughs> that I, I pick up and I go, okay, they've checked out of this lecture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got to figure out a way around that. Uh, my wife and I talk about that a lot and uh, it, it's, it's different. I mean, she, she's Michael's mom, right? I mean, we've had him since he was five. He's now 18. So we have been his parents for 13 years. So Katie's his mom, right? Absolutely. In all way, shape and form. But it's still totally different. And, and I don't think that it's different because I'm his biological dad and she's not, I think it's just, it's the same thing. You know, I was on the road a lot, you know, I've, I've been working in beer a long time. And, um, when Michael moved in, we, we had to get out of working in the bars. We both were restaurant managers. And so, you know, I started selling beer and, and then I started being gone all the time. And so Katie and, and him really became, card playing pals and puzzle making pals and video game playing pals. And yeah, it's just, it's a totally different thing. Uh, life got a lot different. Um, especially when, when number three came around, I think my biggest regret of having three kids, um, Doug was not having five, you know, you already have the three row seats, right? You already have the extra bunk beds. (laughs) Just, just fill two more in. I just, I just didn't capitalize on the, uh, on the money I spent to have three kids when it could have been five. uh, Right. So if you've already built the infrastructure, you might as well fill the building. And if you have five kids, then all likelihood you could have 10 or 12 grandkids. And and then, you know, maybe one of them takes it rich and takes care of John for the rest of his life. (laughs) You wanted to build an empire. I did. I needed an empire. Um, yeah, Katie said no to that right away. So that was, yeah. I uh, I have baby fever to this day. She's got a friend who has, you know, a one year old, and every time they come over, I'm like, can we keep them? Can we can we keep them? Can we just have them? Can we? You want to have another one? Like we? You're gonna we have... like go to the stroller and right. swap the baby out for a stuffed animal and hope they don't notice? Right. We we have three boys. We should try for a girl. It's, uh, I, yeah, the, the the youngest is now six and a half. The, the time has passed. Um, but uh, I would say that every year that goes by, I become less selfish. I think we're all very selfish humans. I said that earlier in the in the interview um, when we're when we're young, uh, when we're in college, um, life becomes truly centered around ourselves for the first time, generally speaking. Right. And um, it takes a long time to get out of that phase. And uh, one kid didn't do it. Two kids didn't do it. I, uh, you know, gleefully and happily jumped in the car and ran away for days at a time. Right. Uh, the beer world, you, you were in that once, not on the same end I was, but, um, you know, there was a time where I ran sales from Detroit to Buffalo, New York for a brewery out of Toronto. And I was gone 10 days a month. And, um, at first it was like, yeah, this reminds me back in the day. I had no kids, no responsibility. Everybody's gone. It's just me, but it, it, it wears on you slowly, but surely. And it just becomes about the kids eventually and about the family and about the, the household and prioritizing family and meaningful connections over career and money was difficult as well. 
I've been doing this a long time and still don't make much more than I did when I started. And that's on purpose where I used to go into places and be like, all right, how can I build this job? How can I build this cash? How can I, how can I build my, you know, sales incentives and, and commission? And this last job I walked in and I said, this is the money I need to make to, to make my wife happy with me working. Um, and this is the amount of time I'm willing to give you for that. And there's a hard cutoff there and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And I'm not taking this trip and I'm done every day at three 45 so I can pick the kids up from the bus and I'm not coming in until nine 30 so I can take them to school. Um, so everything changes. The, the world gets prioritized much differently. I mean, I don't know how much I talked to you about having spinal fusion, but I had that done in 2017. I was 35 years old and every doctor was like, don't do that. You're too young. And I just remember looking at my surgeon and saying, my kids are one in three and I can't pick them up. Like do the surgery. What was the reason for the, the spinal fusion? Oh, I had um, ruptured and torn discs in my uh, lower spine and there was, there, there's no fixing it. It's just a maintaining and dealing with it at that point. And, you know, you can take shots, you can do all kinds of things, but it's a long road a very long and painful road. Yeah. I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, Doug. I had to be able to pick my kids up and they said, well, you know, you're too young. You're too active. Um, the reason why we like to do these later is because people are less active later and, and they're less likely to re-injure and, and, um, it'll last longer. And, uh, I said, I don't care. I need, I need to be able to pick my kids up. I give you all the credit in the world for doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm an idiot. I went back to work three weeks later. <laughs> they said three months. I don't know. I felt guilty. My uh, bosses at the time um, are amazing human beings. And um, I remember uh, three weeks after being basically laying on my back or two weeks after laying on my back at home, Katie comes in the door. She goes, hey, you're uh, your paycheck cleared from the brewery. I said, what? So, uh, you know, I called them up and I was like, hey, guys, um, uh, you didn't put a stop on my paycheck. And they're like, yeah, I know. And I was like, what do you mean, you know, they're like, we know you. You're, are, are you emailing people? Are you texting people? Are you answering our social media comments and questions? Are you are you sending out inventory from our distributor to our accounts? I'm like, well, 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 yeah, I'm just laying in bed all day. I'm bored. And they're like, yeah, you can keep your paychecks, bud. Um, and, you know, I felt bad. So I went back to work sooner than I should have and did a lot of stupid things. But um, that's that's just John. I don't know if I would do that today. I'll tell you that. Gosh, we got kind of off track there. That's fine. No, no, no. All of this is good stuff because what you're talking about is prioritizing your family and understanding what you needed to do to be able to be present for them and mm -hmm. also pay homage to the people who were taking care of you, which was your work. And that's all in that balance. Sure. It's all in that balance. And I wish I could ask my dad every single day how he maintained the balance that he did, where he had a 45 minute commute to his job in the mm -hmm. house that I you know, grew up in later on. Not only that, his job was extremely physically demanding. Then he came back home and the, the yard that my parents have is in a yeah. little podunk town called Ortonville, Michigan. And it's two and a half acres of immaculately cared for landscape. And we're sure. talking flowers everywhere. Uh, things everywhere. Not only that, on the weekends, he would go and work in the Metro Detroit area, trimming trees and trimming bushes for people so he could afford vacations. Wow. And I would love to ask how he maintained a shred of sanity while having kids and doing all that stuff. But unfortunately, I now know 
there is a price to pay. There is. And there would be days, especially when I hit about 16, 17 years old, where I would come home from school and dad would be in the bedroom laying down. Oh, yeah. And he would do everything. And I mean, he would work himself to the bone six days a week, but he had to spend one whole day a week laying down just to recuperate from it. Sleep couldn't do it anymore. I think that's my hardest thing I deal with when I'm feeling like I need to be more buddy and more fun with the younger kids is, you know, I get these great ideas during the day and they get home or they get home from school and just so tired. (laughs) Being a parent is just so tiring, Doug. It's true. They tell you when you're, you know, pregnant and expecting goodbye to sleep, goodbye to energy. They're not wrong, man. Um, No, no, they're not. Honestly, we could we should just get Katie down here because she did that, Doug. She worked 45 minutes. She worked in Ann Arbor. Uh, she came at home at night. Her passion is our house being clean and put together. Her passion is our yard being mowed and trimmed and flowers everywhere. And it's beautiful. And she does a great job. Um, and she does it every day. And, um, you know, it's a little different now. She does a little hybrid work from home. But before all that started, she did that. And then she also went to school at night and got her master's degree. And the whole time, my two boys are mama's kids. Um, There's never a day that they say, dad, 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 dad. It's mom, 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 until mom finally goes, you know, you have a dad. He's right there. You can see him. (laughs) So what you're saying is you're married to a superhero. I am absolutely married to a superhero. And um, she reminds me frequently and and I wish she didn't have to. But the truth of the matter is, is I'm not a perfect partner. And sometimes I need to be reminded that um, everything is so smooth and beautiful around here because the work she does. And sometimes I take it for granted and she'll be doing 30 things and I'll be laying on the couch, you know, playing fantasy football. Yeah, I get a reminder every now and then and I deserve that reminder. I'll tell you well, that. Well, good on you for being able to acknowledge that type of stuff. It's not every yeah. person on the planet that will easily be able to admit their faults. I, I work on that a lot where I kind of will have like a knee jerk reaction where I'm just like, no, I'm not wrong here. I'm, sure. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Don't worry. Right. I'm, I'm doing oh, all yeah. this stuff. It takes you about two hours to realize, wow, I'm the idiot. Yeah. And then you, you, you have to be able to just at the very end, and it's so cliche, but it's so true. The marriage advice that everybody tosses out there where it's like, don't go to bed angry. So true. I think that's the same thing when it comes to kids though, especially yeah. with, with, with a young kid and with a dog. And I got to imagine with three kids, it's exponentially more true. Mm-hmm. You just, you have to be on the same page. And if you want to make it work, you. you acknowledge and one person doing more work than the other is not atypical. I think that's actually usually the case, especially when somebody cares Always. so much about something, right? Yeah. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. But again, you know, that stuff will slowly sure. build in the mind and slowly build in the mind. And one day it will come out and you'll get yep. those reminders. And, and that's okay. That time, and that's yes. also okay. And then she feels super guilty about it. And I try to remind her, look, I'm just, I I'm absent-minded. I grew up with ADHD. I don't know what's going on half the time. I, you know, I look around and say, everything's clean. Great. I'm going to sit down. <laughs> I don't think of why is everything clean and what can I do to help the other things. <laughs> Maybe I could pack the kids' lunches tonight. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I I try. I work on it. Katie always says that I go in the. I, I I'm either zero or I'm a hundred. Right. It's either I am flying around getting lunches packed the night before and snacks ready for school and and everything in its place, or I'm literally laying down doing absolutely nothing. There's there's very little middle ground. <laughs> that that is living with John. That is how that works. Um, 
but yeah, it's, um, it, it's hard. And, um, I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm, I have a best friend, Darren, and, uh, he's a stay at home dad as well. And, and he has three kids now. He has two girls and a, and a little boy. We're totally different parents. I love how he, how he handles his kids. I can't do it. Like his, his kids are literally like, now listen, you've misbehaved. Now, what should you do? I'll go sit in the corner, dad. I mean, that's literally them. And that takes, Ugh. it's a, it's amazing. And the people that have the fortitude for that, it's fabulous. I don't have it in me. I, I'm so proud of you and uh, uh, taking care of the things that you take care of. I, I tried. So I got furloughed during the pandemic uh, by choice. I, I could either become the restaurant manager uh, for the brewery I was working for or take the time off and uh, I did 10 years of restaurant management, Doug, never again. I did my time. So I literally got furloughed on September 4th, um, the year of the pandemic. And, you know, the whole school was virtual. And um, so I decided to stay home for the entire school year. And I thought, man, I always wanted to be a stay at home parent. Uh, I love hanging out with the kids. I love playing video games. I love being the fun dad. Like, this is going to be awesome. I made it about a week and I was ready to cry uncle. Um, it's, it's not for me. It's not for everybody. And, uh, I tell you, even though I don't know that it truly helped me be more helpful around the house to this day, those raw interactions and having your life interrupted so greatly and being forced to be with your spouse again, 24 hours a day and your children, 24 hours a day and nowhere to go and no personal time though it started out extremely stressful and uh, extremely difficult to the point where, you know, I bought a TV and another Chromecast for the bedroom. So either one of us could just disappear and shut a door for a while if we needed to. Right. In the end, it really made this house uh, an incredible place to live and an, and an incredible proud thing for my wife and I to call home and um, I give her almost all that credit, but um, I don't know. The the pandemic with uh, three kids like that was interesting. I know uh, it was doubly interesting being a new dad. Yes, I I feel so much of what you're saying there. I I connect to it all, and I you know I, I expound on it in great detail in the first season of the show where I just you had did. no idea yep. what the hell I was doing. I jumped in with both feet thinking like, man, I'm going to have all this. I'll, I'll be able to like write a book in the morning or when yeah. she's napping, I'll be able to do this stuff. And almost all of that got thrown out the window pretty much immediately. And I, I constantly, and I was actually just talking about this with my wife earlier. It's like every month or two months, a whole new thing, a whole new developmental leap occurs. And I have to be able to rise to that challenge right, and try to figure that out as well. And a lot of what I'm I'm hearing from folks and a lot of what I'm actually proud that modern parents are doing is admitting that selfish tendency and that desire to be like, no, I want some time. I want some time for me. I need this time. And that's important to be able to say and speak out into the ether, because if you can't, it's, it's a version of what makes you you, mm -hmm. right? If you cannot acknowledge that that's something that you want, then you're just going to let it bottle up and fester and it's going to be terrible and it will explode out of you at some point. It will. And if you sometimes take too much adv advantage of it, but can acknowledge that that was a bad thing, that's great. So long as you can say what you desire, that I feel like gets me over the hump 98% of the time where I'm just like, oh, I could really use this. And regardless sure. of whether or not I do it or act on that immediately, I can say that I need that. But this is why I'm talking to you. 
This is why I started a podcast. This is why I want to have these very important conversations with everyday parents, everyday people, because our struggles are not unique to us. So many people on the planet share these exact same things. But if you're willing to talk about it and you're willing to share and you're willing to have a meaningful conversation with somebody, for instance, you having this conversation with me, it helps me. And I've got a giant shit-eating grin on my face because (laughs) I feel like I just talked to somebody who understands me. And that matters more than anything, especially with my dad being absent from my life now. In this moment, anyway, right? Like... (laughs) When I watch Star Wars, that's going to matter. All that stuff is going to matter. But I hear about the love you have for your family. I hear about the love you have for your wife. I hear about the love that you have for the potential future of your eldest son. And it makes me excited and terrified and, and wondrous and feel magic all at the same time. Because these are small moments that I deal with every day, but it's all going to change so fast. And I'll probably still be a version of the person I am today as it all happens. And when I'm on the other side of it, when I'm saying goodbye to her at school, at college one day, if she decides to do that, or if she's moving out of the house, I hope I cry. I hope I cry big, fat, nasty, ugly tears. Because I will hope at that moment that those tears, as opposed to the ones of my dad leaving me, and I trust, I know that he trusts that I've got it. I can trust that she's got it. And I hope I can hold them back until at least I go. (laughs) But it's the big inspirations that I get from these small stories that everybody just assumes, yeah, we all go through that. So who, why would we want to talk about it? Yeah, we do all go through it, but the way you go through it is what I want to know. And you helped me get my podcast out there in the first place. I couldn't be doing this, honestly. I couldn't be doing this in the way that I do it without your help. And why? (laughs) Uh, Briefly here, before we go, why did you start with podcasting and then eventually having the network? Like what, what got your ire up? Well, you know, that's a, another podcast topic probably. (laughs) Uh, So um, I have many friends in the beer industry as you know, it's a, it's a fairly small community for what a big industry it is. And uh, I had a friend named Mark. I shouldn't say I had a friend. I have a friend named Mark. He used to own a brewery. And so I became friends with him in the beer industry. I don't even remember how we got on the topic, but we had talked a little bit here and there uh, after his brewery closed. And um, I'm a big fantasy football fan and a big Star Wars and and comic book nerd and uh, sci-fi nerd. And so is he. So we used to have these conversations about shows and football. And uh, he calls me up one day and he says, hey, um, uh, we got this podcast studio. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Podcast Detroit, um, but they're a, a, a series of podcast studios around the greater Detroit area. And he says, um, so uh, uh, my brewery is an unofficial sponsor of this uh, this studio. I gave them a kegerator and keep it full of beer. And uh, they mentioned my name as a sponsor. And then they called me and they said they have a dead hour and a producer um, that they don't want to pay to do just nothing. So would you like an hour long, maybe it was two hour. Yeah, I think it was a two hour show. Would you like this studio time since we're paying this lady anyways, and you can create a podcast. So we said, sure. And started doing football. Um, and then as you know, you get into the podcast world and then you start paying attention to other podcasts and you see lots and lots of people doing what you're doing. 
Um, and there's a community there and there's people excited about it. And uh, for Mark and I, really, it was just a couple hours once a week for that was just hangout time. It just happened to be live over the air, right? Uh, we're not in a bowling league. We're not in a golf club. I don't have a poker night. I podcast with my buddies. That's my social time. I don't ever really intend to make any money on this. I don't intend to make any money from anyone else. It just is something that's fun and it is my relaxation time and it feels good to help people. So fast forward to the pandemic. I'm sitting here all day, every day, staring at this computer and listening to people's podcasts, very similar to how I literally saw you post on Facebook because we were friends from the beer industry. Not, I wouldn't say friends, acquaintances in the beer industry. You know, I'd seen your post, you'd seen mine. I don't think we've ever even met in person at this point. We suddenly realized if you wanted to put together a very nice professional podcast and get rid of all of the, you know, logo and branding and required stuff, there's lots of free software out there, but it all is watermarked. It's all, you know, limited that you had to pay for it. And so, you know, it's about 120, 130 bucks a month to host a basic web page to pay for this StreamYard we're recording on right now to um, use a service that one click buttons all of the RSS feeds, which are your podcast feeds at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and so on and so on, um, which, you know, $60 a month is nothing compared to a golf league or a poker night, right? But still splitting it with with Mark, 60 bucks a month, I, I felt like it was still a lot of money to pay. So I literally just started reaching out to people that were in the greater Detroit and Michigan area that were doing podcasts, say, what are you using for your service? What are you using for that? What are you using for this? What are you using for that? And found out everybody's paying 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 75, $100 a month for all their stuff. And I said, this is dumb. We should all just use one. So Mark actually had a previous online company that never really did anything that was called uh, iLogic Media. And so we resurrected that and started this with the entire goal to just give a helping hand to those that want to get in. And it's a daunting process when you see how much stuff is out there. Um, and we, we truly actually just want to help. That's it. We charge I mean, you help us, you, you help us pay for our fees. It's, we call it a co-op and I divide how much we pay to buy between everybody that's using it and uh, we don't make a dime on it. We just want people to have this outlet to get going. And, you know, we've had a couple that have left us on to bigger and better things. And um, that's the goal is we give you a foot in the door. You find your own way. For people listening that had no idea prior to this, that my show was actually a part of this co-op, but that was for a good reason. It was because John reached out to me just out of the goodness of his heart, realizing that I wanted to start a podcast. He had no idea what it was going to be about when I first talked to him. And uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry for the emotions uh, that right? may have elicited it at any particular <laughs> time. But it's the reason that I can do this and do it the way that I wanted to do it, because I don't want to make money either. I want to share stories and I want to pe I want people to feel welcome to at least listen to their own stories in their own mind as a direct result of the words that I have to say. And I'm not saying my story is the most important one. As a matter of fact, your story is the most important one. Whoever you are listening, it's incredible and it's worth people knowing. And I just hoped that I could open the door for anyone who tuned in to have a conversation with somebody important to them about something that may have happened in their life, good, bad, or otherwise. And I couldn't have done it without thinking about the fact that I was draining a wallet to do it without you extending your hand of help. 
And the reason I wanted to talk to you for this very first episode is because not only did you extend your hand to help for the podcast world, you extended your hand as a parent. You extended your hand as a friend, and it made me feel welcome. And in a space where I don't have my dad anymore, I cherish those things, and I hold it so close to my heart, and it means more than I can ever really articulate. And I'm a verbose person. <laughs> and to hear people's experiences and allow them to share their experiences was my very first dream. And even though I spent my entire first season sharing my story, I thank you for sharing yours and letting me share mine. Absolute pleasure, my friend. Um, just happy to to give people a home to to uh, start their own journeys. I feel I feel like a foster parent. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> would Would you like to take a moment and tell people how they can find out about iLogic? Oh, certainly. You can go to uh, i the you know the letter i logicmedia.com and check out a bevy of shows um there's some fun stuff on there our services are available to literally anybody that who's ever thought about doing a video podcast audio podcast like i said the more people that use the service the cheaper it is for everyone we don't really charge we just want people to tell their stories and there's some there's some really cool stuff on there there's there's uh, a lot of sports stuff i think everybody that listens to local sports radio thinks these guys are morons i could do this um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I, I am that guy. I host a show every Wednesday night that no one listens to for five years now, Doug. <laughs> hey, it's fun so, though, right? Right. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, tell your story. Even if nobody listens, it's cathartic, right? Absolutely. And that, that's a great note to end on. Thank you for letting me have the kind of fun that I've been able to have, uh, by, you know, reaching your hand out and saying, hey, come and play. I really appreciate it, John. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Doug. Now, I know for a fact there was a last time Dad got fishing advice in a party store. I also know for a fact that whoever gave him the advice that day remembers that experience fondly. Dad knew deep deep down in his bones that information exchange was essentially the primal experience worth doing right. And done right, both parties were richer for it. I've got a pocket full of knowledge jerky to chew on thanks to John. And I'm willing to bet his son is off at college rich as can be as a result of a lifetime of talking with his parents. All of them. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of My Dad, I'm Dad. New episodes come out weekly on Mondays during the season cycle. If you like what you heard today, you can follow along with us over on social media. We have a Facebook and an Instagram at MDIDpod. And hey, I'd love if you sent me an email. If you just want to say hi, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you have anything you'd like to say or you want to share a story about my dad, please do. mdidpodcast at gmail.com Thank you as always to Andy Bird for the use of the music in the show. And here's some Wally wisdom to round out the week. When dad was really getting something out of what you were saying, you didn't have to guess. He'd always hit you with this little ditty. I'm picking up what you're putting down. A little bit of validation goes a long way.
We'll see you next time, folks.